You're listening to the Fit Mind Fit Body podcast, where we explore the connection between running and positive mental health. We do this by talking to runners from all walks of life who generously share their experiences with us. So you don't miss an episode, I've created an email list for you to join. Check the show notes for more details. Without further ado, I'm your host, Michelle Frost. Let's get moving. In this episode of the Fit Mind Fit Body podcast, we meet Dr. Yeston Lewis, a runner whose life journey is as diverse as the trails he explores. From the United Kingdom hills to the Australian terrains, Yeston's story is a blend of endurance, adventure and life's unexpected turns. Join us for an inspiring chat that goes beyond running. Let's dive in. Today on Fit Mind Fit Body, I'm excited to introduce you all to Yeston Lewis. Hello, Yeston. Hi, how are you going? Really good. I have never met Yeston, just like many guests on the podcast before. So you're all going to get to know him a little bit at the same time as I am. So I'm very excited. Uh, again, you've been another referral from Cheryl, which has been amazing. Cheryl Martin, a previous guest. She's uh, referred quite a few awesome podcast guests. And I'm not trying to set you up to say that you have to be like awesome. I'm sure you'll be amazing anyway. So no pressure. We're going to have a fantastic conversation. Um, I'd like to start with where did you grow up? Um, so I am, I'm from the UK, although I'm currently living in Hobart in Tasmania. Yeah. Uh, I've grown up in various parts of the UK. Uh, so uh, in Cumbria on the uh, sort of in the north on the Scottish yeah. border near the English Lake District. Oh, and then when I was nine, I my parents moved to the south coast. So Pool in Dorset, which is this lovely coastal area mm-hmm. on the south coast. And that's where I went to school and, and started running. And oh. then ultimately I went to university in Sheffield. Yeah. Um, on the back up again, the isn't it? Street. That's like, so you're north up, again. down, yeah. and then back to the middle-ish sort of area. Is that right? Yeah. And then I went to uni there and worked there for oh, three years. So I was in Sheffield for nine years in total. Oh, wow. And then I moved to New Zealand for a couple of years. Oh, my gosh. To Melbourne and ending up in Hobart uh, almost 15 years ago. Holy moly, you've been all over the place. You're very well travelled. So, yeah, I've been moving around and pretty much running has been a part of my life to some degree in most of those areas ever oh, since I, I was that. sort of in in middle school really from yeah do you remember at school what you thought about running like did you do it just because they said you know we all run today or we're there's an event that everybody has to go into or do you doing it for the love of it I was rubbish at running <laughs> as, a, as a kid I really well so in in sort of middle school I'm just trying to relate that to where my kids mm. are at the moment um, so this would have been, I would have been maybe 10 or 11. Yeah. You know, I had friends, they were runners, they were really good. I was always behind them. And oh. then I think, well, puberty happened and, um, and that changed. And suddenly I could run and that was pretty amazing. Wow. And I was actually a pretty good middle distance um 
so a middle distance runner. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of cross country, and that's what I did through high school. And do uh, you it was in I say do do you think it was because you became you know, as you said, when you hit puberty, you kind of grew into it and and felt like you were doing well. Was that an important element for you for continuing to run through that period? I, I had been running. It's just, mm. you know, one summer puberty hit yeah. and I was suddenly stronger and faster. Yeah. And, and that just continued. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I was good at running. Uh, I enjoyed doing it. it. It strangely actually wasn't my passion, but I was good at it. What was because your passion? I'd, well, I developed right. um, again early in high school, and I'd I I wanted to rock climb, and oh, okay, and this would have been in the oh, the early nineties. Yeah, so it's really easy to get into rock climbing now as a child, mm. but you know, in the early nineties, that seemed to involve lying about your age to get into whatever remnant of a climbing wall um, wow. was around and tagging along with people. So I was trying to get into that, but I was That's running and I enjoyed running, but I was always also wanting to go climbing. And those two sports, I think, have some ways, you know, they they run their own race with each other. Sometimes I'm running a lot yeah. and sometimes I want to climb. And sometimes there's big gaps where I do don't do one of them. I have two. I have five children. Two of them are still at home. The younger two, one just turned twenty, and the other one's twenty-one, going on twenty-two. The twenty-one and the and the twenty-year-old are addicted to indoor climbing here yeah. in Launceston. So they go to the the yeah. better park here or whatever it's oh, called, yes. and they they love it. They, in fact, that's where oh. they are right now as we're talking. They're off doing the indoor climbing. So it's it's pretty it's pretty addictive, mm. um, and yeah, particularly when you're in your early twenties, it's very addictive. So <laughs> that's what I did for most of my my early 20s um but I yeah I have this sort of relationship with running where I, I come in and out of it yeah and um there was then sort of when I left the UK about oh, 17 18 years ago that sort of I'd been running a lot in the few years before that but that really drove me into this kind of I am now running all the time okay yeah. oh that's interesting so, um yeah just going back a little bit, um, do you have like siblings and things like that? And like growing up, or were you? I, I do. I've got two that? sisters. One yeah. is not athletic at all. Uh, yeah. My middle sister is is not athletic, but is one of the most inspiring people to decide she's going to do a challenge and make it happen. Yeah. And um, we had, I, I did one of uh, her sort of early ultras with her about seven years ago. And that's just one of the most memorable things that I've oh. ever done. And I'm sure we'll get to that because, because yeah, that was, that's one of the, the highlights of, you know, the running I've done and I've done a lot of running. Oh, I love that. Sounds amazing. I'm looking forward to hearing that story. <laughs> Were your parents very outdoorsy or sporty? What was your, no. No, not particularly. Um, no. They, they weren't particularly, I mean, we went outdoors, we did bushwalks and things. Yeah. Um, but on a very kind of ad hoc basis, uh, yeah. they've always been very supportive of what mm -hmm. any of us have done. Yeah. Um, but they, yeah, not in the same way that, you know, my kids are currently, you know, go outdoors and have the opportunity to do outdoor pursuits. Yeah. It wasn't quite the same. Yeah. So a lot of this was driven by me. 
Is that um, just the, the comparison between your childhood and your children's childhood? Is that, do you think, related to Australia? It's considered to be quite an outdoorsy country. I know there's a lot of outdoors people in the UK, but it's doesn't seem to be has the culture is not quite as adventurous. Um, I, I don't I, know. I, there may well be a generational thing. I don't think it's necessarily mm. a country thing because mm. friends I have in the okay, UK that's a good do point. equal things with their um, equal outdoor yep. activities with their children now. Mm. And certainly I've met plenty of people whose parents, you know, 30 years ago were taking their kids outdoors regularly. Yeah. I, I think it's it's probably those people who are really into the outdoors will always take their kids outdoors. And yeah. I don't necessarily think that's a, uh, a divide. I think Tasmania, um, and I can only really speak for Hobart, is particularly unique in the amount of people in one area who are doing these things with their kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's exciting. Um, so what did you do at uni? What did you do at uni in Sheffield? Oh, so I'm uh, I'm a doctor. Yeah. Uh, so I did medicine at uni, mm-hmm. and uh, then did junior doctor. Start my junior doctor training uh, in and around South Yorkshire, which is yeah. around Sheffield. Yeah. Uh, six years at uni, three years working there, and then decided to go overseas for a year, and ended up in New Zealand, where I ended up doing my uh, postgraduate training, specialist yeah. training. And that's been an adventure in itself. So I'm primarily an emergency physician, but and I've been an emergency specialist for since 2012. Oh, wow. But since then, I've also developed subspecialties in uh, hyperbaric and diving medicine. Mm-hmm. And through that, that's evolved into chronic and complex wound management. Oh, wow. And then... Combining all of those, I now run a hospital in the home service down in in Hobart, mm-hmm. uh, where we try and keep quite sick people out of hospital. Yeah, um, and manage them in the community. So. Oh wow! You need to go running and climbing a lot <laughs> with all that stuff going on. Yeah, I suppose so. It, I, running does. Um, yeah, that's it's kind of self therapy for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can you remember, were you running at university? At I, so I ran a lot through high school mm-hmm. and then I got to university and Sheffield is a big climbing centre. Okay. And for the first three, th- probably three years at university, I was completely obsessed like, like your sons with climbing yeah. and did lots of climbing outside and lots of climbing trips I was still running. I would still go off and decide, oh, I'll enter this half marathon. And during that time, I did my first ultra marathons, although I didn't even know that's what they were. Uh, and then th- throughout the latter part of university, I started to get a little bit scared of the type of climbing I was doing and sort of had a little bit more of a sense of my own mortality. Mm. And I drifted back out of climbing into uh, trail running, essentially. Mm-hmm. But the type of running that I was doing in the UK is called fell running. Yep. And falling down hills. <laughs> yeah, falling down hills with style. Yeah. It's amazing. Controlled yeah. falling. <laughs> and it's um, a lot of it's off track as well. Yeah. So 
So it's this very adventurous style of running. It's yeah. quite different to running here. And in that would have been in the early 2000s. And it was okay. a dying sport. At that yeah. point, I, you know, in my mid-20s, uh, I was part of a very small group of young people doing mm -hmm. that sport. Mm -hmm. most of the runners would have been in their late 40s up to their mid 60s oh, wow. and it was it was this weird dying sport and all of that has changed in the last 20 years that's incredible I actually have had someone an Australian who like you quite a bit of a traveler on mm. the podcast Ben I think maybe a year and a half ago and he talked about traveling over there and, and like in Wales and things and doing, doing some fell running. And um, there's a picture of him on his podcast episode where it does look like he's falling down a hill. <laughs> it just crazy. It's, it's falling with style. And yeah. there's, there's so many little races attached to summer village fairs. And then there's just a, a series and with the population density, there were certainly periods where if I wanted to race four times a week, I could do that through the wow. summer. So you never needed to do any training. Amazing. You could just enter races. So uh, and that was that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. And then the mountain marathon scene uh, was a series of they're usually two day events yeah. where you have to carry all your equipment. You run in a pair. They're a navigation race. Oh, wow. So you basically, on the start line, are given a map. Mm -hmm. And the map has the checkpoints you have to run through. And these checkpoints can be often quite hard to find. And yeah. you navigate between the checkpoints. And depending on the class of race it is, will depend on the, the distance. Okay. So the lowest classes may only be 15 kilometers each day. Mm -hmm. The highest classes will be the best part of a marathon each day uh, but that's the straight line distance yeah. between the points and you may not be running the straight line distance yeah. so and you run with your partner and you have a tiny pack and a, a very light tent and a stove on some very lightweight gear and you go you running go. two days it sounds like extreme regaining the regaining can be extreme yeah. as well, can't it? It's uh, some. It is a little bit like regaining, except you have to camp in the middle. Yeah, that's when yeah. you said the tent. I went, oh no, that's not regaining, as far as I know. Anyway, <laughs> so, so some of the some of the divisions within those events are very much regaining events. Mm -hmm. You've got a time limit, and the checkpoints are worth points. Yeah. So, oh, so wow. we had a lot of fun doing those. Um, yeah, a lot of fun running around mountains and. At this point, I didn't even really know what an ultra was. I mean, I think I did my first ultra. I was thinking about this the other day in 1996. And it, I was 19. Uh, it was actually called the Spider Walk. It was around Sheffield. And it took me 17 hours. And I was broken for weeks afterwards. But I had no idea. A housemate suggested I do it. Wow. Um, and then the... I think it was probably on my third ultra I saw somebody with a running club ultra team uh, vest on. And I'm like, why is this ultra? It just wasn't a thing. It was not a thing. You didn't do that. I think, oh, look, I've run a 5K. Now I've run a 10. I might do a half marathon. <laughs> well, now I've done a half marathon. I'm going to do a marathon. <laughs> and then you get to the half marathon. 
I'm going to do an ultra. But um, no, you didn't do that kind of progression by the same. No, I, uh, not, uh, 1819, I was uh, a specialist 800 meter runner. And wow. uh, um, I might occasionally do an hour and a half run, which actually would probably get me somewhere close to 18 or 20K at that point. Um, and yeah, a housemate said, do you want to do this? Let's do this. We can walk around. Wow. Um, yeah. And you did, so and then I you couldn't went, oh, walk okay. around later. <laughs> oh, I was a mess. I was a mess. I think I had tendonitis in one of my, you know, legs for months after that. It That's was, amazing. Yeah. And yet somehow I decided a year later that a 60K loop in the middle of the night around some frozen bogs would also be a, an exciting thing to try. Still didn't know what an ultra was. So... What drives you, do you think, even at that younger young age, to take on these ad- adventures, these yeah, events, which are more it than just going out for a 10K run or whatever? It just seemed like a silly thing to do. Are you going to get round? You know, I, I, you know, I, I know that I can do 10K. And, and, and I, in fact, 10K is, is a distance I do all the time. And I yeah. love running 10Ks. Um, it's just a silly thing to do with your friends. I think I have uh, have done a lot of mini adventures. They're convenient yeah. adventures. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there are obviously lots of adventurers out there, and they do these fabulous expeditions that are just so far beyond the realm of what any of us can do in our day to day lives. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go and climb Everest, or walk across a polar ice shelf, or do the Appalachian Trail. But yeah. it's going to take months out of your life. Yeah, lots Whereas, of preparation and mm. lots. Of, and, and I'm not saying that my adventures don't take, you know, preparation. Mm. I'm, not, I'm some more than others, but most of us can take the odd day out of our lives from time to time and go and have some wacky adventure, which will be memorable, and you'll probably suffer, and stuff will go wrong. But you'll have a lot to talk, talk about, a lot to tell your grandkids about one day. And it's just a bit different, really. So how does it make you feel? Like trying to get to the essence of doing these things and coming up, you know, the, you, it's a whole process, isn't it? Like you even hear people when they talk about um, going on holiday, for example. You know, it's often the holiday, it's fine, but it's all the thinking and the preparation and the the leading up to it that that if you were to really examine it and think about it honestly, sometimes some of that is almost as fun as the holiday itself. It's you know the anticipation. I don't know what the word is. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Have that. I mean, you can spend. I suppose some adventures I've spent a vast amount of time thinking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Some of the stage races I've done in the past. I mean, the first stage race I did, which is this race called the Dragon's Back, which I did eight years ago, I knew I was going to do that about 18 months out from that. And I had come off a period where I was doing all my specialist exams and hadn't been running that much. Mm -hmm. And I'd finished that. And that was a focus for 18 months. Mm. But the... When I did uh, in the UK, part of these various fell running challenges, there's a number of, uh, they're called rounds. There's mm-hmm. one in England, Scotland and Wales. The one in England is called the Bob Graham round. 
Yeah. It's about 100 kilometers. Mm -hmm. And you've got 24 hours to do it. Yeah. But it's mostly off track. And there is about 10,000 meters of ascent, which if you think about the UTMB, uh, no, sorry, um, UTA, that's 100K. It's four and a half thousand meters of ascent and it's on semi-groomed tracks. Mm -hmm. This is is a totally different proposition. And I was supposed to be racing with a partner the week uh, on the weekend. Some friends were doing it. And the week before, my partner dislocated his elbow and I was suddenly without a partner for a mountain marathon. So that was, I'm just going to jump on this with you. So there, was, there wasn't much preparation in that. Those had about 48 hours to prepare yeah. to, to do that. And that was, yeah, I mean, that was incredibly memorable doing that. And it's the last big run I did before I left the UK. So it's sort of, yeah, I, I knew... I maybe had an inkling that it could be longer than a year and I mm-hmm. wasn't sure when I would get this opportunity again. So I just had to take the opportunity to yeah. do it. So. What is it in these races that you find the most memorable or these events? Like, what is it? Like you said it a few times that, yeah, the memories that are created and those kind of, what's the essence of those <laughs> memories that, that you take with you after an event? Um. It's just so different from your day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of type two fun in in doing these events, mm-hmm. in preparing for these events. Yeah. Why am I here? It is yeah. raining. I am lost. <laughs> Don't mess up. You will die of hypothermia. Mm. It's like, <laughs> why am I at home? Um, but equally, there's that feeling of, being quite alive in those moments and knowing that all the decisions going forward that will get you out of the situation are yours and yours alone mm-hmm. and uh just a degree of you know there's there's a lot of independence in that and mm-hmm. yeah and yes. and often often you don't have that that level of independence and freedom in things that you do you have obligations to yeah. you know all sorts of other people organizations society but in the those moments yeah, in those moments mm. those decisions are all yours and nature doesn't care what you do but you do i've just come back from a couple of weeks of hiking or tramping as they call it yeah. in new zealand um in new zealand which is be- amazingly like you've lived there I'm like I've never been here why have I never been here this is just like incredible um where did you go well we did the Hefe track and the Paparoa track in the in right. the South Island no just yep. beautiful um but there's those moments like because you don't have any internet because you're like your days are just walking you know when you're in that that sort of environment yeah. you're in that doing that kind of activity which is very similar to when you're doing an ultra race or whatever that the only thing that's really important, it, it strips back down all the decisions you're making, all of the, the things that you're doing are the next step, the next time yeah. you have shelter and where you're going to eat. And so it's, it, it brings our existence almost down to what we really need and not all the other stuff that we fill our lives for, if that makes sense. It, it does totally put you into the moment and your decisions now will affect significant decisions in the next few hours 
So mm. are you eating enough right now? Yeah. Is this is this the right, you know, navigation here? Mm. Am I going the right way? Sometimes you're not. That just <laughs> it just costs you so much time. Um, am I warm enough? You know. Yeah. So and yeah. you have to that has you have to be aware of that the whole time. It's so easy to mess up, particularly if you're on your own. Um, and you just have to be fully aware and fully present in those mm -hmm. moments. Yeah, I love and, that. And th those moments might be, you know, 12 or 24 hours of yeah. the same moment. But you do have to be present. How do you train for that? <sighs> Mostly just doing... Mostly doing lots of running um, mm. and just going out and having having fun. Most of my running training over the last 25 years has been probably fairly unstructured mm. and just has been, I just want to go out and run. And sometimes I run fast um, yeah. if I've been doing a lot of racing. And if there's sort of, if I've been doing stage racing or very long runs, then I generally try and put in some quite long runs. And I know that lots of very good athletes don't do that. But if I have been, you know, if you're racing basically an ultra a day for a week or eight days, yeah. you probably need to go and run some marathon length runs back to back over a number of days just to make sure that you are, you can handle that, that mm. load. And that level of, oh, I've got to get, I'm tired everything hurts, I have to put my shoes back on and go out again. Usually loosen up pretty quickly, but that first hour is usually quite hard. A bit challenging. What's your favourite kind of racing now? Uh, <laughs> or I'm actually on a break from racing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I hate that word because I don't really like competition now. I'm older and pretty crappy at it. Uh, so I, I like events. <laughs> I think I've raced. I, I actually haven't raced uh for about 18 months i was at a race 18 months ago and i suddenly just didn't want to be there yeah uh and so i'm currently in a a bit of a phase where i'm my running is much more casual yeah. than it has been for the last 15 years mm -hmm. but the types of racing i really like um small races yeah i i quite like small races i quite like them probably around the 25 to 30k yeah. distance is mm -hmm. probably my most ideal distance uh, and i keep reminding myself that when i keep entering longer races or have entered longer races and like, <laughs> you have those low moments in races yeah. as, as you know and you know we'll be at 50 60k and i'm like why am i doing this i like 30k races of course <laughs> I still keep going back, so I must like those long races too. Um, the the rougher the ground and the rougher the weather, the happier I am. Okay. I the is the is the bottom line. I don't mind bad weather. I mm. don't mind rough ground. So the more rugged it is, and and really over the last few years, I haven't really been uh, racing that much, mm -hmm. but I have been doing lots of sort of Tasmanian adventures. Mm. And there's heaps yeah. available here, isn't there? Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're all really hard. Compared to running in Europe or the US, 
they're really hard. I, I'm, I'm not sure people really appreciate how <laughs> difficult the ground is um, compared to elsewhere. I know the the height, like we're used to doing bushwalks here. Yeah. Um, the hikes in New Zealand, I think it was the ones we chose as well because they're also groomed for mountain biking as well. Yeah. But, you know, they, it might be, um, you know, go up, I don't know, I'm going to get that wrong, but say a 1,000 metres or whatever. And instead of it going sort of straight up like they would in Tassie almost, <laughs> or not quite straight up, but go up pretty quickly, there's quite, you know, they, they do switchbacks and they do all this other stuff, which makes the gradient much it hardly felt like we we're walking up most of the time is what I'm saying. <laughs> Mountain bikers make really good trails for running. <laughs> yes, and it would have therefore been quite easy to run, I think. In yeah. fact, they do run a lot of those. So, And we saw some runners out there, which was very pleasant. I quite liked yeah. it. Um, I wonder sometimes, you know, when conditions are, are ordinary and, and challenging, that sense of satisfaction when you finish is even heightened because you've had an experience with the weather or the terrain or whatever that you've survived and been able to, and you're still standing. Yeah, I think so. I think it just makes it all a little bit more raw really. And, and, and it adds to that decision-making process of eating and making sure you're clothed properly and not messing up the navigation. And yeah, it, 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 you know, it increases the stakes in some ways. Uh, but it just adds to adds to the interest. And a lot of the runs I've done over the last few years have essentially we've had fixed dates when we can do them. Okay. So it's not I don't have, have the luxury of waiting for some fabulous weather window to yeah. go and do it. It's I've got two days off and it coincides with, you know, the small group of friends I often do these with. Yeah. And we're we're going to do it we a couple of years ago they've added a few more now but the the wilder trails that find your feet to have badges for yeah i think there's i think there's 14 now which it but oh 13 something like that but a couple of years ago there was only nine of them mm-hmm. and we were uh just out of covid so travel was still hard i hadn't raced in a while and a friend and I decided that we would just do all nine of them back to back and just wow. drive between them all for <laughs> over a few days. I hadn't actually taken into account the 1,500 kilometres of driving. Yeah. At that. Mm. But that was the idea. It was maybe it was it was an idea that we made happen as we were driving between the runs. But the window we had to do that, mm. there was a storm cell coming, a large storm cell coming in oh, over no. Tasmania. <laughs> so we went anyway. We just, and for uh, two of those runs were pretty horrible because they were being run in a storm. Oh, wow. So, but but we we made it work. We had done most of them before we had uh we had downloaded the gpx files onto our watches we did some silly things that did reduce the margin for error at one Mm. point uh, which we needed to correct later but we left hobart at four o'clock one morning and drove out to cape Raoul, and then moved on to mariah island and up to freysnay where we camped 
And then we went up to St. Helens and did the Humbug and over to Penguin. And then we drove to Cradle Mountain and slept uh, in the car and got up the next morning and ran around Cradle, drove down to Mount Fields where we hit the first storm, came back to Hobart, went up Mount Wellington. It, the storm was well established by then. And the next morning, the storm had burnt out and we went down to Bruny Island and ran the last one. That sounds awesome. I'm jealous. That sounds and really that good. Was, I mean, apart from the storm's bit, but it's really we, good. We had three days, couldn't really go anywhere. So we just made up an adventure to go and have. That's so good. I love that. I actually quite like running in stormy weather too, as long as you're safe. But there's something about, you know, stepping out into that crazy uh, there's almost ions. It feels fresher. It feels like you're alive. It feels like everything is, you know, the the world sort of, I don't know, shaking a bit. It just feels awesome. <laughs> I quite like I mean, that. I mean, it does come down to each of those consequences, uh, each of those decisions that you're making on a run, and you make thousands of decisions, mm. and most of them are subconscious, but they actually have, you know, they matter. Mm. They you. They, they really focus you and put you into that moment. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right. So with your running, tell me, yeah. um, and your well, first I wanted to ask a bit about how it might have supported you while you were at school, while you were studying. And it obviously as a doctor who's done a bunch of specialties as well, your studying didn't just stop when you finished yeah. uh, uni. So can you talk at all to whether you felt like your running helped or or just being fitter because it sounds like you know your climbing as well has t- played a big part of your you know physical the way you've moved through the world I think yeah I do need to be active there was one set of exams where I we came to the final exam day and in fact I might have finished the exams and I went for a run the exam was in Adelaide and I ran along the seafront at Glenelg and I realised that I hadn't run in four months oh, and wow. I felt rubbish and I decided that I wasn't going to study like that again. Um, so I think it's it's always been there. Uh, I think sometimes with study, you can get a bit too involved in that process. Mm-hmm. And I've certainly I have made that mistake. Mm-hmm. And it's been a struggle. So any study I have done since then, um, it's making time for sort of physical activity uh, has has been important. Mm. And I actually process a lot of ideas and thoughts. Sometimes they're just daydreams when yeah. I'm running. But I, yeah. I, I problem problem solve a great deal when I'm running. Yeah, a lot of people say that. Um I found that there's a there's a word for it. I can't think of what it is. You know, where the, at one point where the problem solving is really good, and then it's almost like the oxygen level in your brain has reduced so much that suddenly the <laughs> your thoughts are not as clever as you think they are. <laughs> but um, there's there's some um a point of at which they become not so good. Prior to that, I don't know where that is exactly. Maybe it's different for everyone. <laughs> I imagine it's totally different for everyone. It depends on the day. Yeah. I I think it probably requires you to be running enough and feel comfortable enough mm-hmm. in your running and therefore be fit enough to do that running that it's you're not necessarily running particularly hard. It's the sort of run that you could have a full conversation 
yeah. during, which is probably yeah. what most of our runs should be. True. Uh, and that's when you're that that's when you can process that. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, as I've got older, I've got it slower and you know, it's become more bush jogging than running yeah. at times. So yeah. What's more important to you? Is it speed or are the adventures? Like are you because we often we've talked about racing a lot, i.e. racing is a competitive endeavor. Um, or is it the adventure that you're on, the experience? Now? It, it it depends because mm-hmm. you know that's a spectrum and it depends what you, yeah. you want. I mean, there are times when you know, racing fast is fun. You know, racing downhill is I love running downhill. I've always loved running downhill. It's one of the things I'm better at. Yeah. Um, and so being able to race and race hard down technical descents is amazing. But, you know, you can't do it all the time. And just having days out with friends and having a chat. Mm. And I don't mind I whether I'm running on the road or whether I'm running on, you know, nice trails or whether the trails are essentially unrunnable. Yeah. Um, just happy to be out uh and sometimes that's on my own and that's fine and I want those adventures on my own and sometimes it's not going to work unless I'm you know with somebody so it's 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 highly variable there are days where I want to run fast and there are days there are days when I don't want to train I actually just want to go and run something fun and I have a sort of a list of routes uh, on Mount Wellington that are definitely just in the fun category okay uh, you just need to go and do from time to time just to sort of re-embrace the joy yeah, yeah. the joy of running because if you're you know building up for some multi-day stage event you're you know, you're always, have I done enough running? You know, mm. I should be. And so, and that can get a bit boring. It becomes like a job. It becomes a bit, yeah, it becomes a bit, mm. yeah, like a job. It's, mm. it's, there's no joy in it anymore. So you do need to remember to go and find some joy from time to time. So those motivation type of things, what motivates you to, to get out there and, uh, and love it in every step, which yeah. reminds me, um, what have been some of your favourite runs? They don't have to be events. It's up to you. But what have been some of your favourite? I would love them. Mm. Stick with you. Oh, uh, doing the Bob Graham round was pretty amazing. This is this round of 42 mountains over 100K and 10,000 plus metres. Um, that was pretty magic uh, just because... You're, again, you're making lots of little decisions. We had an amazing support team to do that. But I very specifically remember there was a moment. we were. You've got 24 hours to do the challenge. Yeah. If you want to be part of the club, you have to do it in under 24 hours. I mean, okay. it's totally arbitrary. But if you do it over that, you just apparently it doesn't count. You still got around it. But, <laughs> but you need to do it in under 24 hours. That's the aim. And we were running on a 23 and a half hour schedule. So there's not much leeway there. And we were forced, there was a point as, and we started at seven o'clock at night Mm -hmm. and we're trying to finish by seven the next evening. And sometime mid morning, we were 45 minutes down on that schedule. So, (laughs) so, but we're still, I mean, we're still hours out. I still have about nine hours of running to go. But I remember coming off one of the mountains and I, and the because it was now day, the group was beginning to break up 
And I was just this sense of sort of strength and determination that I was not going to lose that 45 minutes. We were going to gain that back. Wow. And so, so, and, and, you know, that, that sticks with me because it was such a, an amazing event. Um, the Dragon's Back Race, uh, which is a race along the spine of Wales. Mm. Uh, they've made it harder in recent years. I'm not quite sure how you can make it any harder, but uh, it markets itself as the toughest mountain race in the world, which is fine. Uh, I So I know the organiser of that. Mm. And the the race when it was first run was run, first run in, I think, 1992. Mm-hmm. And so this race was 25 years ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. It was it was run once, uh, and there's a lot of mythology around that race. Wow. And the the pair that won it um, was a mixed team, and essentially the uh, the runner who basically dragged her male partner around, uh, Helen Diamantes, sort of basically emerged out of the mist running away from a you know a group of paratroopers over wow. you know this 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 race and you know we're probably only what 25 30 years after women were allowed to run in, in marathons yeah. anyway so she sort of emerged basically dragging her partner along to to win this race amazing and then it never happened it didn't happen <laughs> for another 20 years and and we knew about this race and my friend said i'm i'm going to restart it mm-hmm. and i wasn't able to do it in 2012 when he did it but when it came round again for him to organize it in 2015 it's now a yearly race but it was yeah. sort of a couple of years i i jumped on board and i had essentially years and years decades plus of just mythology to go and and test myself and pretty much the first person who I I chatted to uh in the when I arrived was was that original winner who's total inspiration she was there and remarkably she came she came to find me because she knew I was from Tasmania and she lived out here um in about 2000 and until Hanny took the um, Overland track record, she had held it for, whatever, what? 15 years. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. So I, I got to meet her, yeah, so a bit of bit of hero worship there. <laughs> you know, this total icon of running. Um, I love it. She was so far ahead of her time. Yeah. yeah. So, so and, and I was, you know, we were told at the start of that race to look at the person next to us. Mm-hmm. Because at least fifty percent of us wouldn't finish, and I was so determined not to be one of those fifty percent. Wow! So yeah, so uh, you know th- that race, I was either finishing or or coming off in a stretcher, in a helicopter, <laughs> or a body bag, or something. Oh I was God. so determined to finish that race, and you did, um, and I did. It was awesome. It's totally one of the. I mean. It took probably, it depends who you speak to. I think I said it took three months to recover from. My wife will tell you it probably took the best part of a year to recover from that race. Wow. Because wow. it was just brutal. It was five days of 
12 to 14 hours of running a day. Amazing. Horrific. And up and down. It was totally amazing. Like up and down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lots and lots of climbing. Lots of off track. Lots of navigating at that point. So that was pretty amazing. And then uh, a couple of years after that, I was back in the UK and my um, sister said, we should do a race. And I was like, yeah, okay, let's do it. And she found this 80 kilometer race in Wales, where my family's from. Mm-hmm. Um, it passed within a kilometer of her house and it went around this peninsula and it was marketed as run, walk, crawl. And it's uh, it's an 80K race yeah. and it's got a 16 hour time limit. Okay. Anyway, you know, she was saying, oh, it's like run, walk, crawl, we'll be fine. And I sort of, I like, I've run some of this terrain before. And in the back of my mind, I thought, this might be tight if we're, if we're going to walk around it. There's a lot of steep uphills. There's a lot of, you know, there is some road, but there's a lot of beach walking. There's a lot of clifftop walking. And so I thought this could be tight. But we set off and we were the only ones, it seemed, that we were walking. And at about, oh, I don't know, 10K in, she just looked at me and said, we're going to come last. We're, we're, and I was like, that's fine. Yeah, everybody else on this beach that was about 7K long, they were at the other end and we were just starting it. And I was sort of thinking, well, it's going to be tight. And the race started half an hour late. So I wasn't sure whether it was, and they hadn't said whether the course closed at midnight or not, or whether it was, you know. An extra half an hour, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they hadn't said that. So we just continued walking and... I said to her, we are going to catch people up in this race. And she just couldn't believe it in that first sort of three hours. But as the day went on, we slowly (laughs) began to reel in the, the, the runners at the end. And, you know, she, she suffered with a few blisters, which I had to quickly manage. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there was this part in, in the dark where we actually overtook about 20 runners. I just, we just walked up this hill and we just walked past them. And it was, it was very sort of, you know, tortoise and hare type thing. And she was, I knew she was determined to finish. And I knew that our times to the cutoffs were getting tighter and tighter. And so in the, um, in, in the last stages, I was actually beginning to make her run because Mm -hmm. No one had told us when this course was actually closing. And we we essentially got to the end with about 30 seconds before the original closing time. And it, it was just awesome. I had just totally thrashed my sister to get, get round. And she had certainly struggled in the latter parts, but is really, really a tough person. And, you know when I you know, just told her to get on with it and took her bag for a bit and, and, and helped her out. And it was just really amazing to, to do that with my sister and, and, you know, get around this course and get across the line in the original um, time. Um, for- yeah. It was just awesome. What an experience that would have been together. That's such a. Oh, it was so good. So it's... good. She's so determined. She's it's so often good. like on the podcast, people talk about, 
we tend to talk a lot about a lot of trail running just happens that people on the podcast tend to be trail runners often, not always, but often. Um, and there's that experience that you have when you're all out there doing an event together that's quite challenging. Mm. Um, even if you're not, you know, brother and sister or friends, by the end of it, you all feel quite connected and you're all, yeah. because you've had this shared experience of something quite challenging, um, although it's been different for everyone, it, there is that sort of camaraderie that happens as a result. And I can imagine with you and your sister, it'd be, it's even tighter because, you you know, you you went into it together and you supported each other the whole way and, and made yeah. it to the end. Certainly some of the friends I've made in um, in the stage races I've done, because often you end up running with a similar group of people who mm -hmm. are about your speed. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty it's a fast track to, to a firm friendship, that's yeah, for sure. That's, I love that. That's a great phrase. Um, how do you actually fit it in? Like you have a really busy life. Like even just like I asked you to be on the podcast maybe two months ago or whenever it was, maybe three, and you you were busy off doing things and, you know, obviously you have a very busy career as well and you have a family. So how, how do you fit it in when you decide there's a – you, some multi-day event or something that you want to go in and you know you need to do a certain amount of training to get there. How do you fit that around your life? Um, I, my life's pretty pretty planned. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things that go in my diary many, many months before. Yeah. Um, so I just allocate time to it. And mm -hmm. uh, it... It's probably it's rarely more than it's rarely more than ten hours a week anyway, um, okay. and it's probably most of the time is less than that. So yeah. if if I'm just in some kind of maintenance phase mm -hmm. of whatever I'm doing, this is just what I do to. I keep fit is the wrong. That makes it sound like a an ordeal, but what I do on a on a day to day basis, just being active probably comes to somewhere in the region of maybe six to eight hours a week mm -hmm. and that just that's just a bit like cleaning my teeth really you know that's just fitted in and sometimes it's before work and sometimes it's after work and then if there are specific goals then I have to be more organized and that usually involves me getting up earlier mm. so, <laughs> which means as... I have to go to bed earlier but it does any anything Anything early in the morning is totally my time. Okay. <laughs> no one else in my house gets up early. So, so it's all yours. <laughs> that's mine. But you, you then have to be efficient. And the great thing about running is running is super efficient. Mm, if you, I agree. It's, it's so efficient. I mean, it's way more efficient than cycling. Mm. It's, it's hours and hours more efficient than going climbing. I mean, going climbing outside is minimum half day. Yeah. And, and actually, it's probably a full day. So it's running. You can be just out the house for an hour. Mm. You can do it before work. You can change the intensity to suit what you're trying to to do. So, yeah, you can you can fit it in if you're running. You just need to be mm. organized. Yeah, I just um. Well, I don't know if this is just my perception, but as a medical person, for you, you know, you would see lots of people who haven't chosen a lifestyle that includes regular up to 10 hours, like as you said, 10 hours of exercise in a week. Like for some people, they just wouldn't even know how to fit it into their life, let alone 
actually do it? Like there's that. Do you have any thoughts on how, how do we get people moving who, do, who aren't moving and for whatever reason it's not been a thing in their life? Um, quite a challenging. Yeah. <laughs> not that easy solution. It's that um, nutmeg, that, that, that um, whatever you call it, acorn that uh, the medical world has been trying to work out for a long time, I assume. I, I mean, I think things are changing. Um, mm. I think... One of the things I th- it's it's been really nice to to see lots of sort of people I know who are about my age, mm-hmm. some point in their mid thirties, take up some kind of exercise. Yeah, and I I think probably with young people we have too much of a focus on competing. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the sorts of sports that we do at school, it's not really, or, or we used to do at school, it's not mm-hmm. very inclusive. And if you think about running, for instance, track running is not inclusive. There's only no. there's only six or eight lanes on the track. That's true. So, and it's pretty obvious who who where you're coming in that. Mm. But if you look at road running, for instance, that's just basically a moving party over the entire course, and we we don't do enough of of that and make it fun and just have people that. Are, you know generally active it's it's been quite nice to come back into climbing here and just see how inclusive that is at, at, at the the climbing walls and how everyone it doesn't matter how good you are everyone seems to be rooting for you and mm. and that's that's really nice i've noticed um, that with my boys yeah where yeah. they are yeah there it's you know there are people there who are really good and people who aren't and everyone seems to be really supportive of you you know doing problems and you know I, I suspect we could probably do a little bit more focus on on that kind of inclusivity I I think I the conclusion I've come to is that everyone probably needs to do a moderate amount of exercise from an early age and never stop and that most of the injuries that we probably see are underuse injuries in yeah. that we weren't using our bodies and then we've decided to use our bodies and mm. they weren't used to it. Whereas fast. If, if we if that was just baked into our day-to-day lives from an early age, mm. that in a way that was inclusive and that we all enjoyed and was fun. Yeah. then it would it would work better mm. yeah. we, whether that's I, possible I have no I don't know because and for each individual person as like we sort of touched on before it's going to be different like what that motivator is like yeah. and it changes even for me it will change from one yeah. you know, decade of my life to another decade what inspires me to keep running um and then just the micro decisions that I make I, you know, we, we talk about being prepared, like oh, if I know I have to run early in the morning, I'll get my stuff out ready. Yeah. So, someone on the podcast said they'll go to sleep in there. So they know if they get up to get up really early and run, they'll actually sleep in their running clothes. I'm yeah, like, no, that's no. keen. <laughs> to... not, not doing that. Because <laughs> um, the moment they put their running clothes on, they have to go run. Like it, yeah, there's... Although, although um, I suppose that's addressing barriers to things that are stopping you. I'm really yeah. hopeless at running first thing in the morning. As a general rule, I have to either have the fear of not being fit enough to do some massive race or I have to yeah. need something. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you can work on 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 those breaking those barriers mm. down to mm. to getting you out and doing it. Mm. Yeah. Was it someone else said they always have um, a, a change of clothes in the in the boot of their car, like a, a set of yeah. running clothes, their pair of shoes and shorts and top or whatever, so that if they find themselves at a, a moment in their day, they can just go for a run. <laughs> I, I I often have all sorts of random stuff in the back of my car, that's for sure. Okay. Yeah. You've got you probably got climbing gear as well. <laughs> so two yeah, bags. There's, there's a bag with what should I, you know, what should I do today? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, what's coming up for you? Like with running, I know you said you're in a bit of a hiatus, you don't have any particular thing, but do you have anything on the horizon that you're thinking I, about for your running? I think I'm I was sort of just bringing it back to the topic we were just talking about. I think one of the things I have noticed because I've obviously been trail running a very, very long mm-hmm. time. And it never seemed that fashionable here until the pandemic. And now yeah. everyone's doing it. Totally. And I think there's this been this realization and my wife coined the term bush jogging, which I use quite a lot now. I love it. Um, in that actually a lot of the trail running that, that most people are doing is it's just a fast bushwalk. And yeah. bushwalking is really good, but it's really time consuming. And so just doing that fast bushwalking where you're, you know, jogging flat bits and maybe mm-hmm. running down and walking up and that being acceptable, I think has really, really opened sort of trail running up to people. That that secret that mm. obviously people like me were keeping secret that you could actually walk up the hills. Oh my um, gosh, it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think now that secret's out, everyone's um, you know, wanting in on it. It's less um, brutal. Well, That's what a lot of people have said. It like than road running, or I mean, obviously than track running. It's less brutal because you can yeah. walk. That you, you're not always in the vision. Like for a lot of people, when they start running, or if they're feeling a little tentative, if you're running on the road or out in the public, you're very visual. Like people can see you yeah. and yeah. and that kind of stuff. Whereas if you're running in the trails, there's an an element of it's not that you're hiding, but you're yeah, you're not kind of on display all the time. It's kind of a weird way to think about it. I mean, I hadn't really thought of it like that. I always think of the, it's just less repetitive. There's mm-hmm. a lot of change mm-hmm. in stride length. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of using your feet quite differently. Uh, there's, yeah, every, you're not you're not doing the same repetitive movement mm-hmm. that you would on, on the road. Uh, yeah. And I think that, and the ground's just not as hard. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're walking bits, you're... Um, What's coming up for me? That is a good question. Uh, I, my, my, my sort of couple of really good running buddies that I do um, various adventures with are sort of beginning to pester me to come up, you know, when are we, when are we doing something? So mm-hmm. I suspect what will happen over the next few months is that probably get out and may go out to the Western Arthurs again, which is always a good a good trip and seems to have, since I first did it, where it was sort of shrouded in mystery, uh, now is a really common thing to do. And the same with Frenchman's Cap. Uh, the first, first time I did that, that was a really rare thing to do. And now there's regularly multiple parties running it on the same day. Uh, I've got uh, a friend who wants to go out to Cape, pillar so I'll probably go and do mm-hmm. that so there's there's a few things that you know I'm sort of beginning to think about again 
that uh, will get me beyond my my current you know 10k limit, yeah. which has sort of settled in over the last year or so, just because I've wanted a break from running because yeah. I have, you know, some of the things most of the things I've described have happened in the last seven or eight years, wow. and 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 there's a large list more of them. Um, and I was probably just a bit, I just needed to do something else for a bit. Yeah. So I got back yeah. to climbing. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I've been doing that for a couple of years now and probably ready to to do a little bit more running again. But whether I'm ready to race just yet is yet to be seen. But I probably do need to get an entry in for the 2025 20, Overland Track race or I'll have to qualify again. So yeah. I, I that that is on the back of my mind. If I don't get that entry in for 2025, I'll have to do some other runs to qualify. And the Overland's always a good a good day out. That was one I well, I've never done that one. I've hiked it, um, but I've never never done the run. But I've always it was one of the ones I always wanted to do. But so I might I'm doing the uh, 101 gone nuts, which will be oh, actually yeah. my first time over 60k. So I'm nowhere okay. near as distanced as you are um that's an so, interesting race it's a really good yeah. race for um i have done it uh for support crews it's a really e- yeah. easy race for Access. support crews to yeah. manage yeah. well my husband will be pleased to hear that yeah it's <laughs> my water boy some races uh it's really easy yeah excellent so, so that's good yeah uh pretty the the middle 50k block is actually the interesting block in that race okay the first, the first 25 and the last 25 but less interesting okay i don't we'll see what you mean by interesting (laughs) and there's this really frustrating bit when you come into the finish because you can see the finish and it's like 400 meters away but you've got to run down the one side of the estuary and and get to a bridge and then run further and then come back and (laughs) i was so tempted i was so over it by that point i I didn't have a great race that day um to jump in the estuary and swim across i was so oh, close wow. to just swimming across and being done but uh but i did i did finish yeah i'm doing um, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing a series with uh there's eight people that i'm interviewing each month oh yeah for 15 minutes to see how their trainings are going so it's gonna be they're all keeping us oh. accountable all of us so it's gonna be keeping quite fun honest with your yeah, training. exactly see how yeah. we're feeling so uh, exciting Certainly uh, anything that you can get on the course for um, and just run segments of the course yeah. is always helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So if you get an opportunity to do, to do that. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe over yeah. January during the holidays, which would yeah. be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what do you think your life would have been like had running not become such a big part of it? How's it in a positive way? What's it given your life, do you think? Lots, uh, just lots of adventure, really. Mm -hmm. Lots of completely manageable adventures. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's what I've done. Um, Because to fit in a lot of the big adventures that I have a lot of friends who go off and do these amazing adventures, Mm -hmm. but they take months at a time. Yeah. Um, I, you know, because I the career I've chosen and the way I've chosen to do it that has never really been feasible, mm-hmm. particularly with with family life. And the running I have done and and moving to Tasmania has definitely made it more 
difficult because mm-hmm. there are so many other places I could have lived where it's much more convenient to do these adventures. Mm-hmm. But living here, you actually you're often on your own. You're mm-hmm. often in somewhere that is incredibly remote and incredibly beautiful for a short period of time. And yeah. it's entirely feasible to do these things. Um, I've done lots of these things in a day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've, I've mentioned earlier that you can steal a day. So I've got lots of day trips I've done yeah. uh, where I get up at four in the morning, drive somewhere, run in Mount Ossa, for instance, and then come home. And that's my day. And so nice. I don't know if you've you've seen the cartoon Brave. Oh, no, I don't think I have. All right. So it's a Disney cartoon about a princess who's, you know, and she has these moments where she, you know, there's this montage where she's riding her horse, shooting arrows and climbing mountains. Yeah. And that's her moment. And that's how those days yeah. uh, often feel that I've stolen a day and I'm wow. going to make the most of it. I love it. Just squashed everything you can into, into any, every day. part of living. It's kind of like you squashed the squashed essence of living into one day. I mean, you've obviously got to be pretty motivated to want to do it, mm. but but it can be done. And mm. I think that's, you know, there are so many things that if you're motivated to get up early, particularly if there's a couple mm. of you, you can go and do in Tasmania in a day. You know, yeah. the drives are always the same duration. Um, why did Why did you move to Tassie? I was in Melbourne. I hated it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I had a tantrum one day, having been on call all weekend, and my wife said, "What is wrong? You've been, you know, you've been not right all weekend." And I just said, "I hate living here. I can't. I feel trapped. I yeah. can't get out. To I've been used to living, you know, within ten minutes mm. of being in nature Accessible. and being able mm. to go and run. And you know, in Melbourne, I was, you know." intermittently stealing those days and driving mm. three hours each way to go to Wilson's promontory. Yeah. You can only do that so much and mm. you actually need to have those day to day, you know, if I go and run, can, yeah, I can just run from my house into some forest. Yeah. Uh, that's important. And so we shortlisted a bunch of places that might fulfill our needs. So, you know, we were looking to live in some kind of city. Mm-hmm. It did need it good access to the outdoors and ideally the sea mm-hmm. and so somehow I ended up in Hobart uh, I was at a party the week before in 2009 someone told yeah. me I was committing cultural and professional suicide moving <laughs> here but seemingly Tasmania has become a really cool place to live since then it and is cool yeah, <laughs> I obviously amazing. think I that. Um, what so, nationality is your wife I meant to ask she's, earlier. She's Australian. She yeah. is Australian. I wondered if that was why you ended up. Central Queensland, not, okay. not um, yeah. Tasmania. So yeah. this this was a, yeah, neither of us can le- believe that we uh, somehow ended up here. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting to see, uh, yeah, the Australian cultural idea of Tasmania for many years has uh, been not necessarily a desirable place to be live, <laughs> but I think that's changed a lot. Oh, it's totally changed. It's mm. totally changed. There's mm. so many good things going for Tasmania. Oh, so good. I love it, obviously. I know, which is makes it then oh, hold on. Um yeah. I grew yeah, up I, on, I grew up on King Island though, so don't quite feel ah, Tasmania. Yeah, okay. Because we're closer yeah. to Victoria, so we feel a bit more Victorian. Yeah. 
but it's kind of fun. <laughs> We're very parochial, as you yes. all know. <laughs> I, I have noticed that about Tasmania. It's very divided. It is terrible. It's the Campbelltown or wherever that is at that line. Yeah. Uh, yes, the north and the south. Um, obviously, I often ask people a bit about their identity as a runner, and it's. I think that you've identified yourself as a runner. I mean, feel free to say I'm wrong, but um, since you were a kid, you've you've kind of identified, you know, as a runner and a climber. But definitely, running has been part of your identity. Um, how do you feel when or if you ever have some kind of injury that puts you out of running? How do you deal with that as an identity question? Um, yeah, it's. I think there are obviously identity is made up of many parts mm. of, of you, yeah. and it's it's annoying um, and it can be frustrating. Mm-hmm. But the it's not the be all and end all. Mm. I mean, the the races I do, you know. Sure, you might do badly in them sometimes, but, you know, that doesn't, you know, I, I tend, I'm not going to worry too much about that. It's, yeah. it's just part of, it's just part of the process. You're going to have, you're going to be, sometimes you're going to be running really well. Yeah. Sometimes you're going to be injured and you just need to sort of listen to your body and manage that injury. Yeah. It's, it's, it's temporary. Um, I mean, most injuries are temporary. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, sometimes they can be catastrophic. And and then you probably just need to find something else that you can mm-hmm. do that you can focus your interests on. And, you know, there is, there's obviously with running, there is a sort of physical fatigue and physical injuries that you can get with it that need to be managed. Mm-hmm. But also there's, you know, many of the, the long races um, and anybody who's going to do any of these ultras, particularly if, you know, they haven't done them before, there's going to be a massive psychological crash afterwards. You've been working towards this for a long time. Yeah. And there's going to be some exhaustion after that as well. And that's okay. You, you yeah. don't have to be running really well a few days later or even a few months later, yeah. depending on what it's taken out of you. And, and if it's something that's had a lot of meaning to you you know the dragon's back for me was you know the culmination of 15 or 20 years of running and what was I going to do after that yeah you know I was exhausted so that's that's just part of the journey there there are going to be ups and downs Mm. and if you get to a race one day and you're like I don't want to be here then you probably need to go and do something else for a bit you may come back into running Um, I think with the ultra thing, because I mean, obviously I've been around ultras for a very long time. You know, I was doing them before I even knew what they were called. (laughs) Uh, and there has been an explosion of them in the last 10 years. And Mm. I've sort of been witness to that. Most elite marathon runners do maybe two or three races a year. Mm -hmm. And you've got this kind of almost culture in some ultra running that the more ultras you do the you know the better you are the harder you are they all take quite a toll on Mm. you and you probably do need to allow yourself to recover have the rest Mm. Mm. and you know and i've definitely seen people who've you know at races and they seem to be at every race and i you know read about them at every race for two years and then they just Mm -hmm. disappear Mm. and 
I think it's very easy to get very burnt out and very injured if yeah. you are doing too much. It's, mm -hmm. you know, they're great. The feeling is amazing. Bad. But there is that comes at a cost and mm. you do need to allow yourself to recover. Mm. So I'm I actually don't. I've been getting more injuries since yeah. I've been in my 40s. And that has been a bit of a shock. Uh, but I've actually really had very few injuries. And I think that's because I've generally looked at a, a sort of a longer game and tempered out what I'm what I'm mm -hmm. going to do. And I learned fairly early on, probably at a time when I was better at recovering, that there are certain races that wipe me out for a long period of time. So anything over 24 hours will wipe me out for weeks or months afterwards. Yeah. And and therefore I've started to, I mean, that's probably something I could work on, but equally that's something I probably avoid because I've got other stuff I want to do. I don't want yeah. to be wiped out for three months. Yeah. Unless it's something worth wiping myself out for. So there is a there is a cost to these races mm. and there is an aftermath. And you just need to work out quite what your your what your goals is. are. Yeah. yeah. And, and whether that cost is worthwhile. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I've often spoken about what it's been like after I finished. I've done a bunch of, like a lot of marathons. And yeah. there's all that leading up to it. And then it's only for this, what is quite a brief period where you have that, you know, that moment of satisfaction or whatever that you did it and as you described a minute ago after that it's like well now why don't you get that sort of oh it's like it's gone it's that fleeting sort of satisfaction which doesn't last all that long and I think I've come to this point of working out what it is that you love about running and that it's not just that you know the satisfaction you get from crossing a line or finishing a challenge you've set for yourself but actually working out the the love of it all the time, the journey, the, and it's yeah. the journey that you want to be on. Like for me, which leads to my next question, um, of all my life, I want to be able to run and to enjoy it all of my life. And so working out what that is, does that mean that, and it will change and understanding it's not going to be the same. Now I'm in my 50s as it was when I was in my 30s or my 20s. It, it looks different what I enjoy about my running, but being able to, be flexible enough to understand what that is and to to do that rather than always be chasing whatever that next goal is. You know, we talked about it before, that further, um, more, faster, whatever it is. I I think if, I mean, this is probably one of the reasons that I sort of fell out of love with track running. You're, mm -hmm. you're, you end up, and it's the same with any of that kind of road type racing you very quickly end up on a road of diminishing returns. You're mm. putting in yeah. a a vast amount of effort to to try and shave off, you know, a few okay. seconds, mm. um, you know, and and if that's your goal, I mean that's that's fine if you're totally in love with that. But that can sometimes, or for some people, the setbacks of that can be quite challenging, mm. and if you want to do it for a long period of time, you probably need a slightly broader foundation mm. on that. And you need to enjoy the training, enjoy yeah. hanging out with fellow runners or like-minded people who are on that journey with you. Mm. And 
there is going to be a point where you are going to get slower and it's harder to recover. And certainly when I hit 40, I noticed it was harder to recover, but I was still running incredibly well until I got to about 43. Mm -hmm. And the last three years have been hard. Mm -hmm. They have been hard. I've had more injuries. I feel more tired. Um, I mean, that's something I can probably, you know, I can adjust my training around. But there are changes now that weren't there 10 years ago where I could do as much volume as I like. (laughs) You just got to embrace the new you, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. You just got to embrace it. Mm. Yeah, that's hard. And so you do other things and you diversify a bit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. How long do you think you'll have running in your life? Oh, probably always run some at some point. Excellent. I just that's that's the correct diff- answer. No, there is no correct answer. <laughs> I just run with different people and, you know, yeah. and have conversations with, you know, different people. Some of those people now are, you know, different to the ones I was running with yeah. four or five years ago. Yeah. So how regularly do you run with others? Is that quite, like, I don't mean number, but like percentage wise of running by yourself or with others? It's probably 30% running with okay. other people. Mm-hmm. yeah so there's probably particularly if you're doing a lot of volume you know you're just gonna have to do that on your own <laughs> unless somebody's training for the same thing as you <laughs> yeah unless you've got a really and you know I, I mean I quite like I do quite like running on my own but sometimes it's easier so it depends what I'm trying to do basically yeah, yeah. do you listen to stuff when you're running or do you run <laughs> with naked ears I have I have I have tried at times. I can never really get any headphones to fit in my um, okay. fit in my ears very well. I, I keep thinking I should buy some of the um, bone conduction ones. Yeah, like those. <laughs> I know that there's a there's a Black Friday sale. It's still on for those. Oh, awesome! Off, They're awesome. I love mine actually. I use them quite a bit. But but no, I think I actually um, just want to be immersed in where I'm yeah. where I'm going. So the yeah. reason I haven't bought them is because I'm not that bothered about wearing them. And oh. and I want to be able to hear things and you know, that might yeah. be cars or yeah. just Birds. nature that yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um if somebody comes up to you and says, um, Yeston, I want to start running, what do you suggest? How would you suggest a beginner runner get started? Your tips. Well, I'd suggest they run trails yeah and so a very pro trail running mm-hmm. um i'd say they just go and do so wear running gear oh okay <laughs> so, so they should probably have a pair of running shoes that yes. helps so not um, flip-flops or thongs not not flip-flops <laughs> not not hiking boots um i i think i've pretty much below the snow line worn running shoes for all mountain walking for Oh, I don't know, a very long time, 25 wow. plus years. I love that. And so you can just take off at any moment, basically, even when you're oh, out for yeah. a hike. And, and you just move better. So if you're in if you're in running shoes, go bushwalking and jog some bits and try jogging down and just see how it feels to be moving faster than your walking pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and go and do some bushwalks a bit more quickly than you normally would and mm-hmm. see how it see what it feels like. Mm-hmm. And see if you can capture some of the the joy that you see kids because kids do that on those on those trails yeah. they hit a downhill they tend to jog 
they they bounce better when they fall over that's for sure <laughs> but um you won't fall over you're 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 going to just embrace being a child being on the trails and jogging yeah i love that that's Go beautiful that's beautiful bush jogging yes Go we're going we're going to um coin that that's a great phrase uh, that your wife came up with well my hashtag might finally take off <laughs> yes actually i might have to make a note put that in as a hashtag um, <laughs> um before we go and we've kept you a long time already because yeah. it's been a fascinating conversation thank you for sharing so much i've really enjoyed it um is there anything about running that we haven't touched on that you would love to share I think the the future is definitely fast packing. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm interested in fast packing actually. So I think oh, two things. I think if you can run 20K, mm. that opens up. So just the ability to run 20K means you can actually run a very long way, much mm. further than 20K. And that opens up a vast amount of adventures, particularly in Tasmania, for you to just go and do in a fast packing style mm. so this is you pack a small running pack now i i do coming from a climbing mountaineering background um i do have a sort of uh, a very innate sense of what gear i should be carrying when things go wrong and i actually yeah. need to sit on a hillside and not get hypothermic so yeah you also have a medical background so that probably helps <laughs> Oh yeah, that, that really helps too. So I, I don't think people should go into. I'm not advocating people going into the wilderness mm. underprepared, but there's an amazing amount of survival gear you can go and get into a 15 liter running pack, mm -hmm. 12 to 15 liter running pack, and then you can just go and have these amazing adventures on the on on footpaths and trails mm. that wherever you live. And there's obviously lots of them in Tasmania. And so you can then find that you turn multi-day trails into a day run or yeah. And you can just, and you can just go and do that. There's, you know, that's, that's you've awesome. got a parks pass that's free basically. And you can and, go see all those things that people take, you know, days to see. You can see, And you can go and see all those things that people take photos of. And you'll find that if you can get to that sort of 20K and you're happy to jog tracks and walk up hills that there's all this amazing wilderness out there that you can get into really quickly and really easily. And it's not, I need to take a week off work. Yeah. It's I've done it in a weekend and yeah. gear is getting lighter and lighter. Um, I mean, it doesn't last as long, but um, it does allow you to go and go and be efficient and have really efficient yeah. adventures, yeah. but embrace, embrace big day trips and having short adventures. Oh, I love it. I love that. So good. Oh, thank you. You inspired me. Now I need to get my act into gear. In fact, I think my coach has set me a trail run for the weekend. So I need to get out Where there are you and going? do that. I don't know yeah. yet. I might just do the Trevallon Reserve. Mm -hmm. um, that's quite close. And I can, yeah. <laughs> like your Mount Wellington, there's lots of really cool trails in there. And some of them are very steep. So they're good at emulating the gone nuts experience, I think. <laughs> yeah they are very steep there absolutely <laughs> you should get into walls of jerusalem though oh i've i've hiked in there a number of times I have not never run in there i need to do that that is a 
so that standard loop in Walls of Jerusalem, yeah. that 29k loop, is actually yeah. a really it's pretty cruisy as mm. a as a as a, a bush jog. Once you um, get up. Because you've got two and a half K that you've got to walk up and then you do the loop and you can do it in either way. I'd yeah. probably go up to um Dixon's Kingdom first. Yeah. Because that gets all the climb out of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then you come round, and that's that's just wild. And you know that's actually not that far from Launceston. I'm often very jealous of people up in Launceston because they have access to all these things that I have to drive like four hours to get to. <laughs> well, I've I yeah, I actually have done a little bit of Mount Wellington, but a lot of the people I talk to on the podcast come from Hobart, and they just talk about going out their back door and straight up Mount Wellington. So I'm like, that's a bit close. It, it is, and there's lot, there's lot. I mean, there are lots of good trails around there, but there are lots of good trails all over Tassie. Uh, the Mount Rufus circuit's a really good one as well. Okay, I'm going to um, take note of Lake that. St. Clair. Um, oh, and just the um, the Rock the Cradle Loop. Uh, most of those wilder trails are yeah. pretty good. Yeah. The um, I I I don't I, I don't like the um, the penguin one. I think that's a bit contrived myself, but that's all right. Um, are the penguin to cradle? Trail? Oh no, di- no, the the dialed the dial range. Oh, okay. Yeah. Part of the dial range. The dial range is one that that wilder trail I don't like. All the others are really good. That okay. one's a definite outlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of those are really good trail runs, mm. and you don't have to link them all together. Well, my coach is actually Amy from Lampret. Oh, so, Amy. Yeah, so yeah, I can. Uh... You can chat to Amy. Which hey, one should Amy. I do? She'll probably put that into my <laughs> schedule. I yeah, I know Amy quite well. I, I sh- thought you would. Yes. <laughs> All being of the same ilk and this being Tasmania. Yes. Um, <laughs> so there you go. Um, all right. Thank you, Yeston. It's been amazing to get to know you a little bit more. Don't jump off straight away, but um, as I'll say goodbye to you off the recording as well. But massive okay. thanks. Really appreciate you sharing time with us and sharing some of your adventures. Okay. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. I've inspired myself now. It's good. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Fit Mind Fit Body podcast. I'd love to talk to you about your running journey. Send me a message on Facebook or on the website and let's do it. I also wanted to let you know that I've created an email list so you won't miss any podcast episodes. You'll find details in the show notes and on the Fit Mind Fit Body website, along with a bunch of resources on mindful running. They'll help you to get and stay mentally and physically fit. And I'll see you there. Plus, I'll be back here in your podcast player a few times a week. Hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review. It'll help more people to find the podcast and get inspired to start running and ultimately to improve their life. See you soon.